Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, the New York Sessions. I'm Andy Uri, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Today, we are joined by the illustrious, the incredible Eric Smith, CEO of Easy Star Records. Hello, Eric. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very well, very well. So, um, for those who don't know, give, give us the you know potted uh, version of Easy Star. What is Easy Star Records? Easy Star is an independent reggae label. We started in the '90s, the mid '90s, uh, just with a a dream of putting out some seven inches. And now, twenty six years later, we're we're still doing it, and we're probably one of the premier independent reggae labels in the world. I think you might be the largest. I think, I think you might be. I think we're the only one surviving right yeah, now. Yeah, there's, yeah. Exactly. There's, there's not many of us out there. And you there. set it up what with your business partner Lem from day one. So, uh, I have uh, three business partners: Lem, uh, Michael, and Ramy, who are all uh, actually high school and college friends. No way! Mm-hmm. From the start. From the start. This is going to sound really dumb, but what makes a label independent? <laughs> Well, I mean, what makes this a good question? What makes a label independent? Yeah, that's I mean, a good I mean, there's you know, basically they're the major labels, which are a bunch of more corporate, big mm. business labels, and I think the in- independent label is just a catchphrase for those much more smaller companies and that don't basically have a, a, a tie to also a, a major label distribution stream. Fine, directly. It's, a, it's actually a really fucking good question when you analyze because because I think originally there weren't any. Well, what was the first like? You know, it's like almost virgin or, or something, or they wasn't all it? Were probably initially, they were initially, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, um, so okay, so we've got Easy Star Records, and then you you started what twenty six years ago. What did you first sort of get known for as a label? When did you feel you broke the ice? Well, I mean, you know, our goal was just to be respected and known within the reggae community, which is you know, it's a niche genre. Um, and we were just uh, putting out our own productions, and we just got known initially in the New York area. There are a lot of Jamaican artists as well as New York veteran reggae artists. In the, in the scene in New York at that time, particularly New York was, you know, New York, London, Toronto were probably, Miami were probably the main hotbeds of reggae outside. Yeah, of- huge. I think Jamaican community is bigger here than I think in London and it's not it's not unsubstantial. Yeah, I mean, or, 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 or you know, similar. similar. Um, so we initially uh, just started just to start getting cred within the scene here and uh, soon after that, a lot of the veteran Jamaican artists who just kind of heard and saw what we were doing started wanting to work with us so we started licensing other people's music because initially we were doing our own productions. Right, right. Did you play music originally? I don't. Um, I'm just the executive producer. I just say that sounds good or not. We yeah. are, One of our partners, Michael, is our musical director. So he was um, all of our own productions. He's the one who... Which is uh, what Easy Star All Stars, for instance, correct, so the yeah. well-known band. And you, and, and you took a quite interesting strategy there, what, doing covers effectively. Was that always the plan? Well, or? yeah, I mean, we always had um, our own house musicians, which was loosely my partner Michael and then our, and our friends. We had a lot of friends just from actually high school who were in baby bands in yeah. New York in the in the 80s and 90s. Um, and then we also, again, just, just people on the scene. So we always had uh, our, our own like label uh, band that would do our own productions because we were doing live live productions we weren't doing a digital music and uh, yeah to, to, to ask another stupid question what what defines reggae music is is a sort of ignorant person I think I think people just think reggae is like the thing that happened in the 70s kind of thing do you know what I mean and it, it, I've I've learned over the years now it's this giant word really you know for everything really coming out of Jamaica I and guess people use it for right for different I mean it, it's all like all these things including major versus independent label all these things kind of take on you know um um 
you know, versions of themselves and they and evolve and change. You know, you can talk about the actual beat of reggae, which you know comes out of the 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 the, 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 the Caribbean yeah, music that, that went into yeah. reggae and how it slowed down from you know ska to rock steady to reggae. What yeah. does it become reggae? And then there's obviously things go off from there into dancehall and and what is you know there's there's so many different hybrids of of what we consider reggae. I think the average person considers it's it's Bob Marley, you know, and that's yeah. it. Which obviously we know. It's not, it's quite not so true anymore. And how many at the moment? What, how many things are you bringing out? What's your focus at the moment? How many like projects? I mean, we, yeah, we you I know guess. with as the business changed, we used to like to put out about maybe four or or five releases a year. We were albums, always a, we were albums yeah. yeah, full albums. We were always about um, quality over quantity. Yeah. But um, you know, now in the new streaming era, we definitely probably put out a lot more. Probably about like you know. 10 to 15 releases. And you slightly abandoned in the album format? Or? No, no, we haven't. I mean, we do a lot more singles now. Um, we, st- we still feel that uh, uh, the album cycle is important. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a focal point for, for a, a cycle of, of, of promotion. So we do singles and we did put out a lot more singles than we did before. You know, singles in quotes, uh, not the traditional single where you're fully servicing radio, but more like putting it up on... Uh, you know, on the DSPs, on Spotify and, and iTunes. Um, but but then we'll always really want to eventually end up with an album at some point. Yeah. Because so so keep in mind, we, we still, as a label, we never we never did not sell vinyl. Um, the, the, the industry kind of came back around to us because reggae has always also had the vinyl element. Yeah. We started off with seven inches, as I mentioned before. So we always were in physical um, and we still, we still push CDs. I don't know who's really buying them, but someone yeah, is. Someone so is. We, so yeah, it's not just digital. Now, this is a rather crude question, but this is business without bullshit. So I think it's an important question. It's a boring question, probably from your side, but uh, how does a label make money? Does, you know, what are the, what is the modern equivalent or the modern income streams? You know? Well, well, I mean, we're still, you know, this is a boring answer, but we, we are selling music, you know, so yeah. we're, we're in the business of, of retailing music. So, you know, we still, as I mentioned, we still do it on the old physical way, um, whether, the indie stores are really no, you know. What is the indie store? You know, because they've almost gone in the UK. They're, they're, well, you know, this is such a big market here. There are enough of them, and they're actually surviving. So the, the indie, the indie record store. I mean, the pandemic definitely didn't help things. Fucked <laughs> everybody over pretty much. <laughs> so yeah. anyone who was kind of holding on are are gone probably. But uh, no, there's still a pretty strong indie uh, indie store. Um, infrastructure in the country, but again, we're such a big market, um, so we we still have we still have everything here. Yeah. But um, but then there's the retail and, and the DSP. So there's still some people downloading, but primarily streaming is taking over, and that, that's the primary way. So we're getting you know a small, we're getting like point oh oh six cents per stream in theory. Yeah. yeah. Depending on the deal. And, and it's like the opposite of my credit card bill, which just seems to add up to an <laughs> astronomical number from all these small numbers, well, and then streaming, it's like. It's still a fucking small number at the bottom. I mean, yeah. I'm sure you laugh too. Sometimes you send people reports that are 40 pages long and it's like, oh, great, how yeah. much money did I get? It's Three like pounds 78 50. quid. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you, you see shocking. what we send you. Yeah, it's shocking, man. But that's. Um, but I think that's the sort of question. Would you, would you say to someone uh, thinking about starting a label, fucking do it? You know, um, you know, it's a good question. I mean, we we do talk to a lot of people trying to do this. I mean, I you know, I I always pictured us as you know we're part of a team. I mean, there's there's been a lot of stigma to to what um, you know what is a record label versus a manager or artist on their own. And our you know is there a place for us in this new world where artists can go direct to the consumer? Um, you know, everyone anyone needs a team. I think everyone who really wants to succeed in this really needs a good group of people who are smart, caring, and 
and uh, and can execute around them. So yeah. I think as yeah. a label that's still there. The you know the 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 monetization of it has changed a lot. But you know we've always been dealing with tight margins. We're a reggae label. So yeah. um, actually, you know, watching you guys work, it was um, you know having badly run a label myself at, at times. The execution, the the attention to detail, and the the need on execution that you got to be like that's wrong. This is wrong. You need to do this now. We need to do this now. It's like that that you know you ask what the fuck is the label? It's like well, there's all this fun and build up, but then it's like 100%. execute. You know? It sounds like what you're saying is it's huge amounts of experience that other people don't have. Well, being, being, well, as on it, I think I think to your point, the follow through is is the, is, the, is, the, is where everyone usually fails and and falls through. And I'm and I think for, yeah for us, I mean you know project management, following through, um, being I think it also you know for us um, we do look at ourselves as being um, um, serving the artists and kind of really kind of what does the artist want you know yeah. you know as opposed to us trying to be like well we have this business model so we got to make the artist fit into that we don't really have the the budget to kind of force that on people yeah, so yeah. it's more like look we're going to team up with you let's try to make some money let's try to realize your goals and, and what are those goals you know because some people everyone are, I think every artist thinks they have the same goal of like some kind of version of success. We can also pretty clearly see, well, if you want this type of success or this amount of you know, monetization of your art, well, then you're going to have to do these things. You yes, know, yes, so, yes, and, it's and fair. Whether you, if you don't want to do that, it's okay. You're going to have to put on the giant donut out and fit, and we're going to roll you down Times Square, and it's exactly. huge, baby. It'll be huge. Are you volunteering? You know? You're going to have to wear the colored sunglasses. The sunglasses. Oh, yeah. But, it was, you know, I kind of miss the whole, like, I don't know if it, whether you would say it exists still or not, the old school music industry where people smoking cigars, you know, in London, you know, how are we going to get the Sex Pistols famous? It's like, well, right, let's go fucking break some shit, you know. But I feel like now, I feel that that's gone. I feel like that was an era of the 60s and 70s. Do you ever sit around with the cigars and think, wouldn't it be fun if we... Well, maybe not a cigar, but um, no, I mean, I mean, I think all, I mean, I think everything changes, evolves. I think there's a, you know, I think it's also where you look for it. I think also we often, you know, think about what's happening in the major label world or whatever, but then there's obviously a lot of other things that might be similar to that still happening in other parts of the business. I think all that's still out there. It might be a different form. You know, just like the whole thing, like you don't, you know, everyone's like, well, music's not where it was before. But I, I go out there and hang out with 18-year-olds, you know, on the street and see what they're doing. And they might not be at that level of, of singing around, smoking cigars, but they're definitely recreating a new music. And new God, music they're doing incredible things. Very incredible things. And, and, and they'll yeah. end up in a, they'll probably be someone with cigars smoking around for you how to, how yeah. to market them at some point. Cigars are options. <laughs> What was your first proper job, Eric? My first job was a proper job was bike messenger here in the city. Was it really? Mm-hmm. You look incredibly fit still. You still on the bike? Still on a bike now. I still commute. I, I do the city bike. I don't know if you have, you, you notice the city bikes have taken over New York. Those oh, are is that like the, the bike. forest bikes? It's like the bike share. The Santander bikes. Yeah. The Santander yeah. bikes. Yeah. It's not the forest bikes. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yeah, I, I was I used to bike race and, and uh, so I, bike messengering was my first job in, no shit. in high school. Was That's cool. it not really dangerous? Yes, I was. We were all getting hit all the time. It was it was awful. And then you know you'd walk in back then. That was I'm old enough that that was before faxes really kind mm. of fucked you old, over fucked us over right so I mean everyone it was all high pressure get there get, really quick across yeah. town and you gotta run red lights and Equifax wasn't it <laughs> that was the super fast fact in New York 15 years ago I had my closest near death experience I was walking along a street with a, with a friend and we felt this whoosh down our backs like just all the air whoosh. we turn around all in big noise turn Piano. around 
all of these <laughs> all of these building site workers who always look very all look very particular in New York. There's like yes. a look, you know, like they're quite chubby generally, yellow jackets, and they were just all like, You're okay, man. And we were like, What the fuck? And my friends like way posher than me anyway. And there was this big sheet of metal that had fallen standing up, smashed to the ground, and would have would have killed us. And we just we just you happened just would have to been walk. Flat just in time that it didn't kill us. You if know? you were a New Yorker, you'd been on the ground claiming, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. injury. And oh, the yes. of it, you know. Why, why reggae? Well, I mean, I love reggae, I love hip hop, but you know, Good did you have question. a connection I'm, or anything? Or I mean, I'm my my dad is my dad's family is Caribbean, but my dad's oh, older. Yeah, I mean, they're from St. Kitts. Um, but very he, nice. But he was more calypso, and he wasn't. And we had Trini, some, Trini music. Yeah, he was. Um, we had some reggae in the household, but I always just. We listened to everything, and obviously, being in New York when I grew up, hip hop, you know, quickly emerged as, as you know, one of the main forms of music we were listening to. But, um, but I always just gravitated to the reggae beat. Going back to what is reggae, I feel yeah, like yeah. I would, you know, I like I ended up liking it. the Clash and Police and any band that every you know every band out of the seventies had their reggae track, and I always liked that. Even track Zeppelin most. did one. Even Zeppelin, yeah, did, yeah, you know, so D- Dire Maker or something. Dire Maker, Dire Maker. Yeah. Yeah. So I just realized I was always, and you know, I also was traveling to England a lot, and England. And had you could actually hear reggae or your ska mother? Your the, mother's from Britain. My mom, no, no, for, yeah, from uh, from Yorkshire. From Yorkshire. From Yorkshire. <laughs> Fuck yes. off! Your mum's a Yorkshire. Yes. You sound like a proper Yorkshire yes. lady too. It's my but, favorite accent, like that and Georgie. But my mum, for whatever reason, does not have a, a very heavy Yorkshire accent. She has more like just the the, the Queen's. She got the Queen's. What we call somehow. received pronunciation. Well, back then, and uh, yeah, I don't mean to age you, but my my mother's uh, Irish, not uh, half Irish, not from particularly. But if you manage to think she was Queen, people think she does because elocution lessons yeah. were quite common back then. Yeah. That it was like, and also received English back then. I didn't understand it. It was just. Uh, um, all the vowels are open, so it's clearest on the radio. There's least chance of misunderstanding, and that's what established this posh accent. You know, pronounce your vowels. People love meeting my mum, and probably your mum too, are foreign, and they'd like. I just I took. She talks like the book. Genuine you know? English. Yeah, when, when my mom came here in the '60s, and yeah, she was. She, you know, she had the keys to the city. I mean, yeah. everyone was falling over. You know, over her. It's a rare experience to go anywhere as a Brit, and people like it. You know. Yeah, and then, 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 then back then, also they had such a, a very simplistic view of you know, again they, they thought she was probably hanging out with the queen you know? yeah what's your biggest fuck up do you think for, for for life or for the company for the you company you can go either yeah, way well, let's, let's, or both let's keep, keep, keep it business let's, let's, let's keep it business yeah. um, there's been there's been many for sure but um, I think one of the, the mistakes we made uh, it was uh, staying at our day jobs for too long I think really? um, yeah I mean so we when did I, you quit I was working at the New York Times and so was one of my partners oh. um, two of my partners were working at, at other places but um, we quit uh, about f- probably five years into the label so I was you know we never we thought it was going to be a hobby just, was it, it was, just that you weren't brave enough? I, I, I mean, I, you know, you just kind of yeah, yeah. I guess so, or just waiting for the right moment um, to. You got it. Well, let's let's get it clear. You got to be pretty fucking brave. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're talking about like I can't pay my mortgage. Well, then, yeah. Well, also, we live in New York, so I didn't yeah. want to. I didn't want to yeah. starve. You know, yeah. And, and we called. They often called New York Times a golden handcuffs because you know they paid you enough. You could do enough overtime there. Um, it was such a prestigious job that uh, you know it was, it was hard to leave. But um, it was actually our accountant at the time. I was. I think I was meeting with an accountant because we had an accountant. We had, you know, we were, we were, we, at this point, we weren't putting money into the company that much. So I think, like finally. a reputable thing that got it was. Quite it was ticking over. It, it was it? finally not. We finally weren't like just like shoveling, you know, oh, yeah. our, our our friends and family's money into it. Yeah. Um, but uh, and you know, I was like, when would we know when to quit? And he's like, 
you're, you're, you're past ready, you know? And, and there's like, but how will I pay for you? Know, how will I, how will I, you know, replace this, this, this salary that I have from another company? It's like, you'll do it when you, when you quit, you know, it's time. And I didn't believe him at all. I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to be coming back six months. Kicking his ass. Yeah. And I never did. So I like a story where an accountant gave a good piece of advice. <laughs> no, it's good because actually it's a privilege of a job sometimes that, that, that I'm sitting there I, you have to be cautious because you want to be optimistic. Say for lawyers, you want to be optimistic and positive for your oh, client. I always look on the, the dark side. Yeah, you should. Like, you should be careful with the advice you give like that. But I, you know, so you you do have the privilege that sometimes you're the only like trusted source to be like, yeah, just fucking do but it, it, man. It's, you know, it's actually true that you know because I work a lot with startups and mm-hmm. kind of growing companies. And I used to, years ago I used to say, you know, you need a shareholders agreement between the shareholders in the yeah. company. In case things go badly, because then you're not going to fight about it. You're just going to look at the document and go, this is what we do. But actually, that's not true at all. You need it for if it goes well, because everybody gets dollar signs in their eyes and they're like, Absolutely. how much of this is mine? Yeah, yeah. And they really it's worse almost it. when there's money on the oh, table. Of course. I mean, well, you, you've managed to do it with your business partners, four of you, and that's impressive. And I mean, uh, it, it, you know, I think what we're saying at the end of the day, money is at some point in the year, you've got to sit down and say, how are we splitting the cake up? And you need to be pretty fucking good friends to do that. You well, know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, we are as, as a company and we've probably talked about it a bit. I mean, I'm, I'm we're, big proponent of, of fair contracts and I think you yeah. know we started I, I'm most of my friends who started business with with friends they're, they're long gone I think we're one of the outliers in terms of we have four friends who are still totally trust each other and you know we're very different people we have different lives but um but you know we had a contract from the beginning we had our agreement so we didn't have to squabble you, over that lo- long before um, yes that was yeah, that was that was a good move do you think that's something about the fact that it's four of you do you think that's a good number? As opposed to three or... Or two. Or, or, yeah, or, you know. um, it's probably better than two. That's definitely actually, better I, than I two. never thought about that. It's yeah. pro- definitely I feel like two. three, or I have seen yeah. three be problematic because it tends to be you get two of them ganging up on the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, you know? four is a lot to say it's for quite itself. It's quite an and even also you're, you're, also you're onto something here. I've never you're, thought about four You also four probably three. run your almost consensus, are you? If one person disagrees, that's okay, but you still have to talk about it until you're like... Why? Why are we all thinking? We we try to do consensus, and I mean, technically speaking, we're not. We ha- don't have equal shares, so yeah. we so we there wouldn't we wouldn't be in a stalemate. Um, yeah, yeah, there can never there can never be. But it's never come to that. Actually, we've always tried to get consensus. Well, I think that's a good business, and and actually, you relate it. It's very good to relate it to bands, really, isn't it? A lot of the bands that stood the test of time, you'd be forty, like like, uh, and they split split everything. It's always just like everything's split, you know. And, and that's the attitude in London now, like right, equal, equal, equal. But the thing that's really impossible to do, and I don't know how you manage it, is. You know, they always say, it'd be much better if you got all this paperwork signed up front when you're all just fucking high making this song, you know? And it's like, yeah, it would have been, but it might have ruined the song when we started talking about money and splits that day. No, no, but if you'd done it then, there wouldn't have been any. It's like, no, we wouldn't have, you know, so when is the moment? It's like, well, just after it or you're something, you saying paperwork you know? kills creativity. Well, on the day, I think it might. Well, but but if but if you were, if you all just happened to run into another, another creator and decide to get creative with each other that day, that's one thing. But if you've decided, 
wanted to work together. It doesn't have to be when you're writing that song. Yeah, you could have more of an open agreement what, going forward. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, I think everyone's got to figure out the right time to do stuff. But I, I mean, I'm a proponent of, of having an agreement. Having it's, it's a roadmap for how you're going to work with each other, for whether, whether bad things or good things happen. Absolutely. You know, and and the and the uh, album uh, uh, Eric Eric's uh, so kind to work with us on. Um, I mean, you know, I like collaborative projects, but you just do get kicked in the ass and you have like 20, 20 artists, I don't know, 25. Uh, I mean, yes. whatever. And it, it, it just sort of came together like that. But honest, and I knew that, to be honest, it's not like that wasn't my, you know, we had a 13 piece reggae band for 10 years. And by the way, this piece of advice we got after a year, he said, I love this band, but you'll never, ever, ever make any money. It's impossible. And we were like, how dare you? How dare you? You know, you just don't believe. You don't believe. And after ten yes, years, yes. we were like, <laughs> "Okay, it's your eight pound twelve again, there, mate." Um, <laughs> you know, with with in, you know in, in our in our space, there are a lot of we have often the carry horn sections, and there's a lot of bands, wow. including our own Easter All Stars. It was you know eight people, and that's the difference between really really doing well and and breaking even or losing. So, and it's so sad because it kills horn sections, and you, and, it, and, and a good the first horn to go. section, sad reggae horns. Oh my fucking god, that's better than set. I mean. I, I love my wife, but that is pretty much better than sex. You know, three is better than two. Give me four if you can. Oh, you know, but but you know, the, the, what the, the, the fan doesn't really realize is like you know how much it takes to 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 send that many people to your dinky little club to to play to you for and you're you're complaining about the ten dollar charge. You know, it's like yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not an easy road out there. So the first time we had a, a singer songwriter, one person oh. who wrote his own music, that was great. And played all three <laughs> horn instruments simultaneously. Yeah, what do you think is the most misunderstood thing about your business? Uh, the most misunderstood thing about... Um, How much admin there is. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, I, I think I kind of referenced this before. I think for us, one of the things that have been frustrating, misunderstood, is, the, is the, again, this this kind of very monolithic idea of the record label. I'm just talking about our mm. business specifically and how they're inherently evil, oh. money-grubbing, um, you know, uh, ex- exploitive of the artist uh, type situation. And... and and that they're, you know, tied to this kind of big business infrastructure that's, that's all, all wrong. And that's, there's those aspects of the business. And clearly, there, you know, art, artists throughout time have been exploited. And there was a total period of, of um, and there still exists, um, artists signing to bad contracts. Yeah. But that's not, you know, that's, no. not, that's, that's one part of the business. And, and I think, there's, I think any, any person or any group can be a bad actor. You can be a manager. Absolutely. You can be an artist. You can be a record label. Um, you can be a promoter. There's bad business and there, there's, you know, there's corrupt business everywhere. But the idea, I think there's kind of like every, every um, dramatization of the music business, you still have this kind of like, you're talking about the whole mm-hmm. cigar room stuff. Yeah. This kind of like ridiculously outdated, antiquated yeah, yeah, version, yeah. Um, which I'm still surprised that still kind of gets perpetuated. I also think, um, and it's controversial to say it because I agree though, I've been terrible things that have happened in very punitive contracts, particularly against black people in this country or whatever, you know? And I mean, um, but that all being said, there is this sort of thing that the artists, you know, it's all about the artists and the fans only care about the artists and the record labels this. So I think you're referencing both things. You believe in fair contracts and stuff, but I, it's similar to our attitude, I guess, on this show about like business isn't evil. I've met a lot of businessmen and they care about their staff and they care about it. I've met a lot of people who run record labels and they really fucking give a shit and they put 
blood into stuff and you get arsehole artists who think that, oh, well, you know, why didn't they do it all right? And it's all about my talent. It ain't about your talent because there's so much talent out there. I mean, you, you, we, I sent an email around our office, an office of accountants in Slough and we got a band together who was like, fuck, you're an amazing guitar player and whatever, you know. And it's, it's also like, you know, fine about talent, but there's a lot of other, th- lot of other things that go on with that. Like you can oh. have talent then what are you going to do with that talent? Back to, you know, we have enough reference points now to see what an artist can do to be successful and if you're not doing any other things I don't care how talented you are you know then is it not also that when we were talking about execution of it's when the record out that matters because I think that's what you all get lost on as younger people is you make the best record you can and it might be a fucking amazing record but no one gives a shit and no one will give a shit unless you are doing a phenomenal hard job afterwards. You know, I got quite upset. There was this whole Taylor Swift scandal I had to contact, comment on. You know, she fell out, she fucking um, hate mail to her old manager who sold her. You, I thought I had to comment on it. So I had to read up the history. When she was 16 or 15, this guy found her and made her. I mean, it's it's unequivocal. It's like he fucking found, he might, I don't know, he might be a piece of shit. I don't know anything about the blow, but he found this 15-year-old girl who clearly had some talent and stuff, but he molded and made her and ended up owning a lot of his st- her stuff because he recorded it all and whatever. And she is this enormous star with bags of money, so she hasn't done bad. And then he sold it to someone she didn't like, This this what he owned, this asset that he absolutely had a right to build up. And she started a hate campaign of her millions of fans against this guy. It was appalling. And all the comment in the press, what they wanted us to say was like how, yeah, poor Taylor Smith. And I was like, fuck Taylor Smith. She's doing fine. Like, I disagree that she's mobilized these people. You but, know? But it, what's also amazing about that is no one wants to, like the gray area, things aren't black and white. And, and why do people just want to perpetuate the same Thing. boring story? Isn't yeah. it more interesting? To, I mean, it, it's more nuanced. And, and, you know, to your point before, Obviously, it's, it's, it's frustrating at times when artists, you know, and I get it. The fan, the fans' relationship with the artist is different. They don't have to really appreciate all the middle people you know, yeah. behind the but scenes. It, it, but you don't have to like throw everyone else under the bus. Again, I mean, I think I think just because they're the, the money people. You've heard the old phrase of the music business: the people in ripped jeans. Who there's a misunderstanding that people in ripped jeans only care about music, and the people in suits only care about money. But it's the other way around, you know. And that's a really dark but interesting thought. And it makes sense because as an artist, you've got to care about money, you know. Yeah, and I mean, and you said before, you know, business is inherently evil. I mean, I you know, I came from this. I was a sociology major. I was not didn't think I was going to run my own business. Um, yeah. I you know, I've just found I do think there's there's a there's a moral code that we go by business and I think it's pretty simple but it's not saying that that one making money off of uh, you know in a relationship is inherently bad or or an inherently exploitive and and there's an idea of like I think you know what are we here for and that's the thing for an artist if you if, if money is an interest to you and usually it is yeah. then this is then this is what we're gonna do and and I think some people get it twisted and say well I want to be a martyr so I'm not I'm not gonna be I'm gonna be the other I'm just gonna be an Asian and just you know give myself to the artist and then when they're bored they walk away and they think they can because they don't have any skin in the game yeah. so I think the fact that we if, if we both are trying to make something out of this if I'm gonna try to also earn and so I so I can be around for 25 years yeah. so I can pay my bills as well then that's that's a wonderful you know mutually beneficial relationship. What's the hardest thing you do in your job? What's the hardest thing I do in a job? Um, I, I think, um, you know, I think we've, we've touched on this, but I think trying to, you know, our, the price point of our product right now is, is, and streams is like, you know, 0.006 cents. So 
we have to with with an indie side without a ton of money to kind of force it down people's throats and kind of force the public to become fans. We have to somehow get you know mass consumption of our product. So we you know at point zero zero six cents we have to figure out a way to reach the public who are going to you know listen to a song once and listen to it again and again and again. And so you know you can look at like oh wow we had you know hundred thousand streams on on Spotify and 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 you know in the old school numbers that might seem like a lot and wow a lot of people are listening to. So it's having to kind of create mass um, mass awareness and mass adoption of your product, which is you know which is a struggle I think at the indie level, you know, and now also with just so much you know competition out there for for people's eyeball. I looked it up just to, oh fuck maybe it was a million quid a million streams is a thousand pounds. That's depressing, isn't it? And you know, and that's why you know people joke about oh you still sell CDs. Well, you know, I think at our level you take you take you the take revenue where you can get it. You, get. you take yeah. a CD, you take it in vinyl, you take it on the streaming, you take it at and sync, you take it at uh, wherever you can get yeah, the money. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, and, it, and it's like people are like, well, is the, is the music business broken? Is the economic model broken? I mean, we have our own margins. We don't we don't need to make bucket loads to to cover our that's, corporate that's office. That's the upside. It keeps that's sticking over. And, yeah, it keeps yeah. sticking over. And I, and I think you know. So again, people get caught up as the music dead or, or, you know, and obviously the majors are doing fine now because now definitely the streaming is, is, is working out pretty well for, for them. Um, but for us, it's always been a hustle and it's always been a tight margin and, and you know, music is always going to be here. People are always going to be listening to music and making it. That, so, it's one thing you can't do is devalue music. Yeah, you, you can't. Can give it I mean, away. It doesn't matter. We still love it. You know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, thankfully, you know, the, the benefit now is that, um, sure, the price point, I mean, the CD was an amazing moment in time where this thing that costs nothing. Yeah, like, I mean, we, we came into business right when we were just seeing that King, we we're like, wow, this is cost like 10 cents to make and we get to sell it for 10. Yeah, like, where like, a vinyl, vinyl would cost you three, vinyl, four bucks. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and vinyl warps and breaks and was heavier. So, yeah. the, so shipping. Um, so that was a nice price point, but you know, we're not, we're not. Well, isn't that, that's the one nice thing I found about digital. It's like, you know, you don't have to make anything. So it keeps, well, it but, keeps But also that, that's right. This, that store is open 24 seven. Forever, so you know there was a time where you'd be like, "Wait, uh, Virgin Records doesn't have our our record in oh, store sorry. now." Now you got now you you know so now you could be like, "Wait, you literally can I just put my own records here?" Because like you had that you had you to would hope. work up to these yeah. moments where you'd manage to get our price to agree to put your CD on a shelf at this moment in time. So you run around, you do PR, and you put stuff in magazines, and you try. And it wasn't social media, so I can't remember what else. You do shows and shit, and then there'd be this week, and then go in the store, and no one fucking you'd got your timing wrong. Like it all just like missed, and then they were like, "Oh well, no one bought one, so we took it down." or something and that was it that was it good luck next year yeah, so you know? you're a slave to that other than you know selling directly to shows but now you have a 24-7 storefront um, that you know over time the, the long tail so the tail the tail is never going to be as fat as it was before but there's a the, yeah, yeah it just goes long along and, and, and those, those those you know those cents those hundreds of cents you know they, they're there and they're, they're monetizing constantly what are you most excited about for your business um, I mean, What's it's coming up? pretty much been the same. Well, in general, the same thing is just I just love, um, ha- you know, really helping artists realize their their dreams and and get yes, music yeah. that I love. Um, you know, from the from the artist perspective, really helping them kind of get it out and and just being in that whole creative process is exciting. And then connecting it with the fan, I'm I'm as excited as seeing a fan who, you know, discovers something through through our label. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's. That's oh, it still excites me. Um, and it's, do you think that's that's a great motivate? That's what drives you. Is it? Do you think it's what drives all of you? 
It, what one? Yeah, I think in so. I mean, I, I think yeah, in the label, I think so. I think we all just love. I mean, you know, we are. You know, I think we're very lucky. We made a choice early on. We were just gonna um, wherever it would go. We were gonna work with music we want to work with. Yeah. Um, you know, and obviously we had the security. We'd figure something else out or figure out how to how to you know pay the bills in some other way. But luckily, we've been able to do that. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Okay, here's a bit of a, let's, you know, move on, you know, f- philosophical question here. So uh, higher taxes, right? more money for the government to fix the planet or world, or do you think more philanthropy, more charities? I mean, I, I mean, I think at the core, I'm, I, I believe in, in us all, you know, chipping in and paying for the greater good. Um, the idea is like what's, what's going to benefit, you know, our, our neighbor is going to come around to benefit us. So I, I mean, I, I believe that we need it. I mean, a tax system. Um, I think, you know, the, the, all the, the devils in the details and, and how do we administer that and how do we find a... a, a but a, we should tax people yeah. properly so and enough to run the country. Yes. Now, I think and, I agree too. And for the core safety net, you know, we we'd absolutely need to just, just have that tax. And then, but philanthropy has its place, I think, for out of the box for kind of progressive thinking for testing things out right. for 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 doing all all the things that are going to bog down a a the you know a, a bureaucratic institution that's to, the most practical intelligent answer it we've feels had. like you're saying more of both um but yeah, used sure. in different ways yeah, get, different get, ways. Get, get the government to run the fucking railways and the hospitals and 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 make sure there's no one like starving in the street or something you know but then the philanthropy I like is a more agile yeah, sort of. More oh yeah, you want you want to Plus, you want to that? You wanna, yeah. Go for it. You yeah, know? exactly. Go for that, and again, we'll, we'll, you will get a lot of good ideas and a lot of good work out of that. And there's, and there's always going to be holes. There's always going to be things that 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 need to be addressed. Mm. So that's where you target. But all of a sudden, when we expect philanthropy and one person or one small group of people's uh, wishes to be how we how we you know, is there a culture of philanthropy amongst New Yorkers? Certainly isn't amongst Londoners. I don't yes, think. There, yeah, there for is. Sure. You guys yeah. are better than us. Yes. I, I think because we struggle to talk about money. It's also because we struggle to talk to each other normally in London. You don't talk to your neighbours. You don't. No, you you don't talk to your neighbours. I do actually. I know a few people in my block, but I wouldn't let them in my flat. (laughs) (laughs) I think we do talk to our neighbours. It's to be unfair to say we don't, but we're we're certainly shit at philanthropy. That's all I know. Really, we don't we 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 don't know what to do about it. We occasionally panic and give someone money. You know. Well, you guys don't tip. That's that. See, it starts yeah, it starts with tip. the tipping. There starts we go. The Philanthropy starts. But tipping so confusing for us. <laughs> and yeah. so like so shocking. What I have to have to give somebody another twenty percent. I've just paid a shit ton. Yeah, but yeah, it's an interesting point that tipping may lead to a more philanthropic ideal, you know. I mean, I think both sides are interesting. I mean, for, you know, it was always hard for us to go anywhere where we're not supposed to tip because it just it, you, it really I had to really accept the fact mm. that it's okay yeah, to not tip. 
How would you fix either capitalism, if it's broken, maybe broken, or the music industry you, you pick? Well, I mean, I assume my answer for both would be probably you have to fix people for, oh, <laughs> which okay. no, which is obviously maybe not a not a not an easy uh, uh, thing to do. You but therapy. Well, what, what, what I mean, capitalism. I mean, I feel like I mean, ultimately, you know, whether it's capitalism, socialism, whatever economic and, and political system we're part of, we're a product of people, and I think uh, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, the, the answer: How do you fix people? Um, I don't know. Answer <laughs> that one, but I do think like you know, well, you deal with artists. Yeah. You deal with some of the most complicated people on the planet. Perhaps the answer you know? is in the same way that you fix dogs. Yeah, Just yes. A thought. <laughs> how do you, how do you fix dogs? So not, you don't know what fixing a dog is. No. Well, you you you, you snip off their oh. testicles. Oh <laughs> no! <laughs> well, you know, you you live longer. You you have um, less aggression. No, yeah, I think it's brilliant. No sex for women. What do you just get vibrators? You guys, you <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, that's uh, fine. Vibrate, vibrate we'll market goes through that. the roof. We'll be absolutely you know? fine with that. I do think so if, I'm gonna, you know, if we knew, if we neuter, you know, you know a certain yeah. certain part of the population, then we'll we'll fix capitalism. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Again, I guess as life or business, I'd say for life is probably from. My dad, who, you know, so I think we've kind of referenced here my, my mixed segment. My dad's mm-hmm. black, I grew up in Harlem, from, I'm Caribbean American. Uh, my mom's as white as it can be from, from Yorkshire. Uh, we grew up in the East Village. Uh, so there's a, my, my, my father was pretty active in the civil rights movement um, no back, back to like the 50s. So, so, so identity and, and also it was a labor activist. So all these things were always going on. And, and uh, there's a lot of things going on in our neighborhood culturally. Also, we were like, you know, the, the sexually, sex, sexual identity, all stuff was going on in mm. ground zero in the West Village. Um, but all that said, I think my dad always said, you know, before you are you know, boy, black, white, you know, deaf in one ear or whatever, you're Eric. And, and, uh, and that, just that sense. And, and, you know, as much as he wore on his sleeve, kind of these, these, these identity struggles and these, these life pursuits, it ultimately, the core thing didn't have anything to do with any of that stuff, you know? So I think it's that nice was... nice advice. So it was, so it was good to kind of, and obviously saying Eric, they named me Eric, so it goes, it goes beyond that. You're your yeah. own person. Yeah, yeah. I think no, no, that's why I like it's a sort of um, humble, straight thing of just remember you're you and you and, decide and you're, who yeah, that is. You, and, and no matter what, yeah, and you decide that and then that's and you, you're the only person who can decide that. Yeah. So, so that always kind of was a great roadmap for me. Top three reads, pods, that kind of thing. Or, to, well, it doesn't have to be top three. It's kind of a recommendation a for a record or a podcast or a book. Or all three, or, or three. three. Uh, hmm. I mean, I, I always have a hard time with these all, all times because I, I mean, there's there's so many you can choose from. I'd say record uh, London Calling the Clash. It's probably if wow. I had to pick, yeah. if I had to pick one, yeah, that's yeah. probably the one that's still still. I made myself me. listen to that for ages because I didn't understand why people loved it so much because I had oh, to get okay. my head around his singing because yeah. he's not he's not like mm-hmm. a singer you know, mm-hmm. really you know. Mm-hmm. But he's but and then it clicked one day. I did the same with Bob mm-hmm. Dylan and then that album is just mm-hmm. it's amazing. And Tommy, what's the I'm a Tommy Hopper yep. or something. He was wicked. Good chow. Um, and then uh, for a podcast, um, one I'll pick is uh, The Rumor, which I just listened to recently. Uh, the Rumor. The Rumor. 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 I, I listen to a lot of podcasts, What's including, that? including this one. So um, in Baltimore, my, my wife's family's from Baltimore. In Baltimore, there's, a, there's Cal Ripton, who's a, a famous baseball player. He came to a game one day and the, the lights went out. Um, like half the lights went out and they had to cancel the game. And the rumor was he did that because he'd injured his hand because he got in a fight with Kevin Coster, who he found in the bed with his wife. Oh, wow. this is brilliant. And this is an actual rumor that Hang was on, the, that, that, that kicked around. This, now, this is back in the 90s. I'll write it down for you. The yes, rumor. We can remember that. 
Um, so uh, so that was a rumor. It was a you know, local rumor, but it became a national rumor bit. It Kevin Costner, of, when he was young, you would. You totally would go. <laughs> he was you know. well, and, and he had to eventually. So the, the podcast is about that, and it goes on. That sounds so, fantastic. That's great. I want to listen to that. that. Um, and then book, uh, I mean, I have a... Cloud Splitter, Cloud Splitter by um, Russell Banks is probably one of my all-time favorite books. Russell Banks, famous sci-fi author. Yeah, British? Don't know. American. No. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> See what problem we've got? We've got a problem. Uh, let's do let's do a bit of ethics then. So uh, net zero, what are, you, what are you thinking about that? What do you do do as a business about saving the world? Well, I believe we should try, yeah. um, and I, I honestly we we need to do more. Yeah, um, yeah, and I think uh, uh, you know I, I feel like we've kind of I've probably in us skated by we're so our our footprint's so small, you know, we're mm-hmm. so, and we're you know um, what can we do? Or, and also our margins are so tight. It's like, quite a quite a yeah. yeah there's not just a bit like, of flying around, is there? I mean, you guys uh, well, this isn't bad, is yeah, it? Yeah. Well, and like again, our footprint, like they're so low compared to what the average business does, and we're doing. We're 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 forced to on our you know indie level have to be already efficient. You know, I think yes. we, I think we can't really be that wasteful, um, and especially for us, our artists, we're trying to make every dollar uh, you know go the go farther. So I, there's not a lot of fat for us to cut off. That said, yeah, there's yeah. a ton we can do, and I and I really think for us, you know, I think. From a structural standpoint, I think as opposed to looking at it as an afterthought, have to start kind of building it into like the budgets and the plans that we have, as opposed to like because once you kind of have a budget in place and you figure out your margin and what a project is, it's kind of hard then to force in some kind of net zero. You no, know. it shows they must be bad carbon producers. People having crazy shows, are well, they? Well, you I mean, think but, about but, it but, now. But think about but think about that the shows at all. Like, is it, is, should we not be trying to, you know, send bands around the world to play and people, yeah. keep people live? I mean, that's, so you can, you can keep, you know, how far do you want to go with it? Um, yeah, the idea, should we all just be, you know, sitting in our houses not going out to live events? Sure. I mean, Back to the live horns, yeah. you can't beat live horns. <laughs> well, that's that's, so that's the, the answer to it. Yeah. Net zero except for live horn exception. Yeah, I think so. I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. Right. Good. All right. good. Done. Maybe Tick. live horn offsetting. <laughs> So, so, you, so you, you get you get rid of the uh, get rid of the keyboards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> to our favorite part of the show, Eric. You've okay. done tremendously well with the difficult questions. Um, so this is our business versus bullshit quickfire round. Okay. We're gonna name something. You have to say whether you think it is business or bullshit. Okay. DQ the music. Uh, diversity quotas. <sighs> <laughs> no, that's the internationally um, recognized bullshit side, you know. I'm always going to try to go for it in between, but I mean, I, I, I think there's actually bullshit in advisory quotas. Not, not that I think diversity is extremely important and I want to have that, but, um, but uh, I, I have issues with quotas. Yeah. The stand up meetings, the idea that you have meetings standing up, although I've never met anyone who ever Keeps has. it short, allegedly. Apparently. I'm going to say bullshit. Uh, caffeine. Bullshit, even though I drink caffeinated tea, because I, just, I don't have any, it doesn't have any effect for me. Meeting agendas. I'm going to say business, I really do. <laughs> do, you, do you, like, you like a little agenda, do you? It does, yeah, it helps frame it's it, nice. I like it, yeah. Again, again, you, you can you can go in the bullshit area with these. There can be there can be bullshit agendas and there can be business agendas. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm always going to say it's both. Office dogs? Oh, that's a man who doesn't like dogs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm hearing some, some coach over here. No, I would say bullshit. <laughs> Damn, I have one. Uh, carbon credits. Can I smoke something first? Yeah. No, um, I'd say um, I'm going to give that one. To, until there's a better solution, I'm going to say for now, business. 
This is uh, the cornerstone of my communication, swearing in meetings. <laughs> business, for sure. Business. Fucking business. Fucking business, excellent. Um, pub lunches. I guess bar lunches, I don't know, in, in the US. You don't again, do bar lunch. No, no, again, I would say business, though I think, you know, the, the, the three martini traditional, I mean, I think, I think you know, with, it's a bit and, much. And, and I, I'm a mar- martini drinker. I think there's, mm. I think there's a balance, I'm right? I'm really on that. But yeah, we had a martini on the first night. a fantastic night. dirty martini. Oh my God, and they make them so strong here. I was oh, yes, yeah, flying, I know. you know? Yes, exactly, one martini. It's, it's yeah. really hard to leave New York and get a proper martini. Uh, B Corps, B Corps. Heard of the B Corp? No. I'm that? quite glad you. It's an American it. thing. It's an American thing. It's all about bullshit. If, uh, yeah, no. you, <laughs> you have a Britain side. It's basically yeah, an accreditation yeah. to say that you're a business for good. So you have there are it's lots a, of categories, and you have to like show that you're treating your employees well, treating the environment well, doing all these different things. And, and then you get and a, then you get a, like, you get a, a bullshit. Stamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah bullshit. nice. And everyone in London is jumping on it because then you then you you'll work all the efforts to get that tag, and then you'll you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do whatever, can, do, do whatever the can, fuck you want. You can kind yeah. of game the system, yes, right? Exactly. Yeah. That's uh, not. That's not how we do it. I don't think. Non-disclosure agreements. Business. Hmm. Do you? So I think they, they're, they're useless. They're useless. Yeah. They're useless. Yes. Yeah. They're useless, but you have to have them. Uh, unlimited vacations. I don't imagine many record labels get much vacation. Yeah, bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. LinkedIn. I mean, I think every social media platform has its service and its nuances in its own special place. I think LinkedIn has it. Um, I always feel a bit weird in the music industry, the LinkedIn, but it's, you know, they, it makes they, perfect they, they sense. All, they, all, you know, they all do their thing, each yeah. one. Um, so I would say, uh, I would say, it can be business. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, bit, a little bit of business. Uh, Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, let's deal with it. Let's let's I'm just feeling more bullshit by the day. Uh, Did you hear Warren Buffett has called it like rat poison? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it's I think it's quite possibly bullshit, but you know, we we some of these things had to play out to see where they go. NFTs. Again, there's 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 proper applications for it. I think nine ninety nine percent of the time, I think anyone that I work with, I'd say it's bullshit. Uh, thought leadership. There's a lot of heavy signs. We're hitting, <laughs> we're hitting the same button. But, but also, uh, you, can, you can always you can always play either side of the argument for any of these yeah. things. Yeah. Um, I'll say bullshit. Gender pronouns. Oh, God. So irritating. <laughs> <laughs> so irritating. But you have to be so careful as an executive no, no, of, of a woke industry record label. You know. no, no one's listening to this, right? Yeah. Um, I I um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say their business. Yeah, um, and I'm gonna say you know, and, and it, it has its own frustrating nuances, and it's it's different than what we had to deal with before. But ultimately, in a day, it's like life. really, it's that's life. Mechanical royalties. Interesting. <laughs> Good one. Did you put that in? Yeah. I, I have no idea. What <laughs> no, I but then they asked me to explain them. I got myself confused again. It was uh, like, well, these days, I think they're this. I don't fucking um, business. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even though, like, they're, you know, they're, they're, the business of them has changed drastically. Would you got, Would somebody like to unpack it with what they actually are? Yeah, you do a better job than me. Well, I mean, it's, so traditionally, it's a, it's, a, it's a standard royalty that you're paid for every physical product that's, that's sold. Okay. So, 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 okay, yeah. So, a song would have a mechanical royalty, like, it's, it's just a statutory rate. So, for, for years, it's been nine cents. Almost for, like VAT but, or something. 
Well, that was a little that different. That would confuse cinema. But, um, yeah, anyway, but yeah. But, you know, but it doesn't apply to streaming the same way, and it's, things have changed, and they've, they've actually, for the first time, going to raise the mechanical royalty after years. It used to go up periodically, and then it stopped. But um, but the, the science around it is pretty bullshitty. Virtual concerts. I'm going to go bullshit on that. Yeah. It doesn't quite do feel, feel the same. Yeah, I think so. I mean, well, I'm, you know what I'm actually thinking of is Web 3.0 and Travis yeah, standing I mean, up. Again, it might get to a point. Yeah, and, and for headsets. certain, for certain, you know, the one that I'll the caveat with that, I do feel <clears throat> coming on the pandemic when there was obviously a lot of virtual experiences. I think for people who, for example, the whole world, people who can't get to a live show, I mean, this is a whole world for them. Um, True. You mustn't forget those yes. people in Australia, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I, my friend in Australia see him. No, I do always like when you were young. And these bands, they go round and round and round and round the world, and then fucking status quo would come down here. <laughs> uh, final one Brexit. Who? Uh, bullshit. So there we have it. Fantastic. Well done. Did yes, 5,612 5, points. The uh, engraved <laughs> wooden <laughs> teacup will be with you on Tuesday. Yes. Um, so this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your your business. Oh, okay. And where um, you go. Or an album, whatever you want. Whatever, whatever you want to bring well, some attention. Well, 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 I mean, for Easy Star, I mean, I, I think, or, and just for reggae in general, um, I think for anyone who, who does have any idea about reggae, then they probably know about Easy Star already. So yeah. props to you guys for being in the know. For anyone who's just kind of a casual fan of reggae, maybe think it's just about Bob Marley or, or Shaggy, or just a fan of music but don't know reggae, um, I would say that pretty much any artist you're into has been influenced directly or indirectly by reggae. Mm. So if you like the music you listen to, then you should like reggae. And if you like reggae, you should check out Eat Star. And, and if people want to find out more about you, where, where do they go? Um, just You can always just go to www.easystar.com. Very it's easy. E-A-S-Y-S-T-A-R. All spelled correctly, no oh, hip-hop spelling. No, yeah, no, yeah, no Zs in there. No, the vowels no are all there, which is impressive. Okay, so there you have it. That's another episode of Business Without Bullshit, the New York Sessions. Woo! Thank you to Eric for joining us. Thank you to my co-host, Andy. Yeah. And a big thank you to you, dear listener, and we'll be back with BWB 